Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. Guys, we are in for a special treat today because I have a special guest who is going to teach us all these things about advocating for ourselves and and learning about our health and and the questions we need to ask. And so I want to introduce you to Dr. Vanessa Rowan. Dr. Vanessa received her PhD in integrative biology in 2009. She has had several papers published in various scientific journals, including topics of reproductive endocrinology, immunology, and molecular biology. She has taught classes at the university level, including anatomy and physiology, for over eight years. As her career developed, she found a passion for making difficult topics easy to understand and increasing health literacy. Health literacy is defined as the degree to which individuals have the capacity to obtain, process, and understand basic health information needed to make appropriate health decisions. The one thing we must understand is that even though not everyone will go into the medical field, there are instances in which you must be able to advocate for yourself or a loved one. The more you know about your body and how it works, the better you can understand and form those decisions. Dr. Vanessa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. So, you know, I'm going through your bio. I'm like, wow, you are very, very qualified to talk about this topic. You have such an extensive background in health and education. So we are just so excited and honored to have you here today. Thank you. All right, so we're going to jump into this topic of health literacy. I kind of defined it briefly, but I want you to go all in, uh, maybe explain it in more of layman's terms. How can we understand this topic and and why is it so important? Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, health literacy is basically being able to understand what your doctor is telling you. And obviously the literacy part is reading those things. So sometimes you go to the doctor, maybe they give you like a pamphlet to read, or even you're taking medications, right? And all those medications come with um, different reading materials of you know, side effects and how to take it um, and all these different things. And so it's really important to be able to um, understand how to read those things, be able to read those things. And a lot of them are very difficult because they are chock full of scientific vocabulary. And so um, health literacy is more than just being able to read it. It's, it's kind of going back and being able to gain that understanding um, and a little bit of that background to be able to understand this terminology. And I don't mean you know, going out there and getting a biology degree or a science degree, but just getting a little bit of background information um, so that when you do get some kind of diagnosis or when you're trying to decipher um, all these side effects and how all these different medications work that you may be taking, that you have a better understanding of how these are interacting. And just by knowing a little bit about how the body works, how your body works, 
lets you make better decisions, right? Uh, for your future, for, um, you know, better decisions as to when to go to the doctor, maybe when to not to go to the doctor, what type of doctor to go to. Uh, there's a lot of um, decisions that can go into all of that. Hey guys, sorry for the interruption, but I just wanted to let you know that Jumpstart, our six-week health and weight loss program, is starting October 4th and we are now open for registration. If you have ever said the words, I know what I should be doing, I just don't follow through with it, this class is for you. This high-level accountability program offers weekly live group sessions with a dietitian, access to our private Facebook group for accountability and community, daily accountability emails and call-outs, one 30-minute private Zoom call with a dietitian, six-week home exercise program customized to any fitness level, sample meal plans and snack lists, and weekly educational handouts to support your journey. Save $30 by registering by September 27th and using the coupon code FALL22SPECIAL. To join, simply go to our website, bodymetricshealth.com, and click on the link under Programs. Okay. So you just gave us a lot to think about there. So you're telling us that it goes beyond just reading a pamphlet, but knowing how to to decipher that information. Give us an example of of when that would be really helpful. Sure. I mean, I think that a lot of times we don't think about our health until something's wrong. Right. I mean, I mean, we can talk about eating healthy, exercising, those types of things, right? But we don't really think about what could possibly go wrong until something is wrong. And then at that point, it's a matter of, are we going to look at different literature to determine what's really going on in our body? Or are we going to, um, are we going to be feeling so bad at that point that we're really just going to be going through the motions? Okay. So for example, I mean, you go to the doctor, maybe you get a um, diagnosis of diabetes. That's something that we hear about a lot. Um, we know we may or may not know that it has something to do with sugar in the body. Do you really understand what that is? Do you understand what organs are taking part in that diagnosis? Um, are, is it type one versus type two diabetes? Is this something that maybe you can manage with um, exercise or diet, right? And I, and I think that it comes to a point where sometimes when we get these types of diagnoses, the doctor will give us medicine and we're like, okay, well, this medicine is going to make us better. So then we just go, we get the diagnoses, we take the medicine, we feel better, we get better, maybe not, we go back to change the medication and we kind of keep going in this loop, right? Versus really being able to understand the diagnoses and what's happening in the body, right? Being able to read the literature, learn, okay, well, there may be certain instances, you know, yes, you most likely need to take that medication as you're starting out, but there may be instances in where you can change things in your daily lifestyle in order, um, to better your health. And that's obviously not always the case depending on the diagnosis, but being able to understand a little bit more about what's going on in the body just helps you to have a better grasp with that. Because even though we can talk about, you know, we can separate and talk about each system of the body on its own, like the circulatory system and talk about the heart, the digestive system and talk about all those organs that work in digestion, but they're really not separated because in some ways, they are all interacting with one another. So maybe one system is affected initially, 
But if we don't take control of what's going on and really care about that, you know, then um, that can go on to affect other systems as well. You know, I mean, like, like for instance, high blood pressure, that's another pretty common diagnosis. And, and again, same thing with high blood pressure, you can go in, see the doctor, they give you the medication for the high blood pressure, it brings the blood pressure down. And we can go through that loop of just taking this medication. And, and, and I'm not saying that medication is bad, but I'm saying that if you have a better understanding of what's happening in the body, maybe you can control some of those environmental factors. And that in conjunction with the medicine will really help you to um, control things like high blood pressure. So then you get the medication, maybe it brings it down, but then it doesn't bring it down long enough. And then you have to up the dose, up the dose, up the dose. But maybe if you understand that high blood pressure can be affected by things like um, a stressful environment, right? Uh, not taking enough time for yourself to really be able to, to de-stress, especially if you have a, a stressful family life or uh, a stressful job. Um, things like high sodium intake can affect your blood pressure and, um, in exercise can help reduce your, your, your blood pressure, you know, so if you can kind of try to also change different things like diet and exercise in that case, then that can help in conjunction with the medication to where you may not even have to take it for a long period of time, or you don't have to continue to up those, um, doses, but on the other hand, that we're talking about the heart, that can obviously affect other things because now your heart has to work harder than it used to because now the blood pressure is higher. And then it can go on to affect things like your kidneys because they're filtrating everything through the body. So if the blood pressure is higher in your heart, now it's higher in the kidneys, things aren't getting filtered right. And it can just go on and on to affect other things. So it's important to understand that we don't just, you know, go to the doctor get the diagnoses, take the medicine, move on with our lives, but really try to understand what is going on in our body and how maybe in addition to what they're prescribing for us, we can better take control of our health. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is we have to learn how to, you know, understand the information, not just necessarily take their word for it, but it's, we have a, a better chance at um, making our best decisions when we have more information and asking the right questions. So I guess it comes down to is where do we learn the information? Do we go to Google for this? Do we, is there a book we can read to find out, you know, a, a body for dummies or whatever <laughs> those books are, understanding the body. And then how do we even know what the right questions are to ask? Because, you know, if this, like you said, if it's a new diagnosis, you know nothing about it, we don't even know what we should be asking. So maybe walk us through some of those. Right, um, those are pretty loaded questions, but um, <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and like I said, it's a difficult topic. So sometimes if you just go to the library and pick up a book on anatomy and physiology, that's gonna be pretty hardcore to delve through if you don't have a background in that. And I think that, you know, a lot of the times we think, whoa, science, science is one of those topics, which is really difficult. It's, it's a hard topic to bring down because of the vocabulary words. And um, so a lot of the times we stay um, away from that, but uh, there are obviously ways that we can learn more about um, how our body works. Google, Google can be a slippery slope because, uh, <laughs> 
there's a lot of information on Google. How do we um, separate the good from the bad, <laughs> the real from the not real? Um, and so that can be quite a slippery slope, especially if you're not feeling well and you start to Google maybe what your symptoms are. Um, pretty sure probably anything you Google will lead to death <laughs> as, as, yes. as a potential outcome. A um, it's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you just stubbed your toe, you are going to die. Um, yeah, so Google can, can definitely be uh, a truly slippery slope, uh, but there are very qualified um, websites out there, you know, things like the Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, um, CDC, right? Things that are um, well vetted and uh, medically related are good. Um, there's obviously uh, videos that you can watch that help with um, learning how your body works. Um, I also have a YouTube channel where I have videos. Um, my YouTube channel kind of has a different variety of videos. So I have like anatomy and physiology type videos um, where you can learn about how the body works, but they're written as if you were taking the course. And then I also have topic videos where um, I'm, I'm delving into specific topics and going through that in more layman's terms um, so that others can understand uh, that as well. But, um, you know, it, it is really hard because, you know, is, are there resources out there for you to learn more? Sure. I mean, there's a variety of different um, anatomy and physiology workbooks and textbooks, but they are very involved. Um, uh, Bill Bryson wrote a book called um, The Body, and that actually every chapter of that book goes through a system of the body, and it's kind of like anatomy in a nutshell. And though scientific terminology is used in there, um, it's a pretty good book to kind of go through what each system of the body is doing and gives you a good overview. It's, it's a little bit hard to read right in one sitting because it is very full, um, but that's probably a good place to start versus trying to read like a textbook, you know, um, I, I would, I would start chunks, right? You're not trying to be an expert. I'm not saying that you need to go in there and, and you're preparing for medical school or nursing school, right? Uh, start in chunks. What are you interested in learning about, right? If there is nothing wrong, what are you interested in learning about and kind of go from there and build on that knowledge? Or if you have a diagnosis, learn more about it look those things up, but make sure that you're, you're looking at well-vetted, medically um, vetted websites rather than, you know, like things like wikipedia.com where while it's getting better than it used to be, things anyone can kind of post on there. Um, okay. So I want to go back to actually something you said previously about knowing when to go to the doctor and when you don't have to go to the doctor. So what are your tips around knowing when the right time to seek medical help? I know for our family, we do have an advantage. My husband's a massage therapist. So he has a pretty good working knowledge of, of the muscles and musculature. So, you know, when my kids, you know, pull their, you know, I don't know, their calf muscle or whatever, like we can pretty much kind of do some basics and before we have to actually go out and seek medical attention, but not everybody has the luxury of being 
a massage therapist. So um, with my background in nutrition, you know, we can, we can kind of do a lot of things in home, but when do you go? When do you not go? When is it important? When are the signs and symptoms enough to warrant medical attention? What is your recommendations with that? Right. Um, so I'm just going to say a disclaimer before I say this, that I'm not a medical doctor, <laughs> um, but to kind of give a guideline for that. And, and that this can obviously vary. This varies from situation to situation. I mean, right. Uh, right. There's this so many different question. things. There's so many different things that you can go to the doctor for. I'm thinking like 20,000 scenarios in my head when you say that. But um, I think I think it goes from going to the doctor for every little thing to going to the doctor when it's really needed, right? And I think that um, some are very prone to going to the doctor if they have the sniffles. They wake up, they have the sniffles. I need to go to the doctor immediately does that really warrant it? You know, usually my rule of thumb for deciding when I need to go to the doctor is, you know, if myself or my child has a fever for, you know, more than two days that just doesn't break with medication, right? If, if they have a fever, because a lot of the times, you know, when you, when you get sick, for instance, because that's, uh, one of the more common things when you get sick, you can get sick with a virus or you can get sick with a bacteria and a viral infection really can't be treated by the doctor. Yes, they have some um, medications now that you can take that are antiviral, but you have to take them within the first few days of the symptoms. Um, and sometimes it's, it's not always easy to tell right away unless it's something very straightforward like strep, right? Strep throat, um, whether it's viral or bacteria. So um, uh, viral infections, there really is no medication to treat that unless it's an antiviral, whereas bacterial infections, you can take antibiotics for that. And so, you know, usually, um, you, you know, some of those signs to really go to the doctor is there's a fever that hasn't been, that you cannot break with medication, right? So you take the Tylenol or the Motrin, um, you can, uh, usually flip those back and forth if you want to every like four hours um, and you have no, the fever doesn't break. Well, that's an indication that something more severe is going on and you need to take, um, that would warrant a doctor visit, right? I mean, if you wake up and you just have the sniffles and you're just feeling kind of lame, no fever, no nothing, that's not really a reason to go to the doctor. Um, and so kind of just being able to uh, think about what the symptoms are, how bad are the symptoms? And unfortunately, sometimes it's just a wait and see. And it's hard, especially, you know, as, um, as an adult, right? We can know like how we feel. Do, do we really need to go to the doctor? Are these sniffles really bad? You know, if, if I'm sick and I don't have a fever and maybe I haven't felt any better after like five days, that's when I'm thinking, okay, there's something more to this. Um, even though I'm not running a fever and I'm not feeling any better right now, maybe now is when I need to go to the doctor, you know, but when a child is sick and a child is crying all the time, Right, that kind of heightens your stress and you're like, do I need to rush them to the doctor? Um, so th those are kind of the things that I would look for in my child is a fever not breaking, you know, and after like um, three, 
three days or so, if they're just not sleeping well, they're not eating, right? Not eating can lead and not drinking can lead to dehydration. So those types of things I think would be signs um, for that. That sicknesses, I mean, there's a whole plethora of things. I think that if you have severe um, or symptoms such as like, you know, chest pains, that's something that you want uh, to get checked out. Um, obviously, um, if you're feeling dizzy and lightheaded and, and this is going on for a while, those are things that you want to get checked out and not just pass to the side because that could be a whole bunch of different things. Um, but then, you know, then it gets more difficult, right? Did your child break a bone? Did they not break a bone? Did you break a bone? Did you not break a bone? <laughs> right? The severity of when do I go versus when do I not go? And obviously that that's going to really be dependent per, on person, right? Because we have a whole variety of, of differences too, right? We're talking child versus adult versus senior adult right? And, and how easy that it could be for them to break a bone versus somebody else. Obviously, if you get hurt and you're bleeding out, that warrants an immediate <laughs> ER visit. Um, so it's, I, it's hard to answer every, every yeah, scenario, oh, but kind of to give an idea. Yeah. I mean, I will say I tend to err more on the conservative side, like, well, let's just, you know, see if this passes because, you know, we have a big family. So my kids are always, you know, bumping into things or falling or things like that. And I remember I said to my one son, cause he's like, oh, my leg hurts. I was like, all right, I will take you to the doctor, but if he doesn't tell me that your, your leg is broken, I'm going to be really upset because he just kind of was like, uh, kind of hurts. I think I need to go to the doctor. I'm like, is there a chance that he's going to tell me your leg is broken? He's like, no. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I think we're going to be okay. We just need to wait it out a little bit with some stretching ice, you know, all those remedial things that we can do at home. But I tend to be more of I want to see a bone. <laughs> I want to see blood before I start jumping into, we got to run and get medical attention right away. I know I, I fall more on the opposite extreme. Um, but I think, I don't know. I want to blame having multiple children. It desensitizes you a tad. When maybe if you just had one, you, you run to the doctor right away. I don't know if that's good or bad. You could probably yeah. tell me like, ah, <laughs> We still want to go get medical attention for that, but so far it's been working out for us. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, I take a very conservative approach as well. And I think that, um, you know, children tend to be more resilient. And I think that, you know, the signs, you know, intuitively, like why they should be taken, right? That fever that's not breaking, breaking. They're tired all the time and they never were. They're trying to sleep all the time, right? Um, they cannot walk on that leg or it's very painful to walk on, on, on that leg that hurts. I mean, kids have a variety of different aches and pains normally, you know, they're growing. Um, and so they can have that. So to bring them for every ache and pain, I think, you, you would be there all the time. But obviously I think you can tell the difference between, oh, my leg hurts, but I'm gonna go you know swing on the monkey bars and run through the field and jump a thousand times on the trampoline. And then I'm gonna come in and tell you that, that it hurts a little bit versus my leg hurts and I'm going to sit on the couch because my leg really does hurt. you know um, So I think for, for kids, you kind of really can see that for the most part, they're acting 
way different. I think when a child doesn't feel well, um, they can really, they, they don't really mask, mask the, the fat, you know, they're tired, they're running fevers, they're not walking on those limbs. Some, some do have a, a higher pain tolerance than others for sure. Um, but I think that as, as we get to be adults, um, I was kind of thinking about that the other day, you know, with children, especially when a baby is born, right? There, they have all these checkups so many times before their first year, and then they're going like every six months, and then they're going every year um, to get these checkups. So we often take them. I think the thing as adults, we maybe had our last physical ten years ago. You know, it's like oh, unless I feel bad, I'm going to go to the doctor, right? And not not even taking care of ourselves when we are healthy to get those physicals, right? So why, why were those physicals so important as a child, but now as an adult, we kind of can brush them off and not do those physicals anymore. And I think for a lot of us, or especially for me, I'm like, well, I'm not going to go to the doctor, you know, unless I'm dying. <laughs> um, and we, we just really need to take better care of ourselves by, by going to those physicals every year, right? Because then we're feeling good. Of course, we're feeling good, but it gives us those baselines for when we are feeling good. So that when we're feeling bad, we still have, we still have those baselines there. And, um, you know, and for, for adults, like, like I said before, like really, um, symptoms that you would really go for that's, that that's not like an obvious bone sticking out of the body, you know, would be things like chest pain, dizziness, um, your, your, really tired, feeling fatigued, you're just not feeling yourself. Those are things that you want to get checked out and not just brush off because something else could be going on. Right. So you, so you're advocating for, um, making sure that we get our physicals, even if we don't feel sick, always going and doing that annually. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's important, you know, um, I go in and I get my physical every year. I make sure to get blood work every year, even if um, I may not need it. Like I maybe, you know, I feel fine. So, you know, you may not need it every year, but especially as I get older, I want to know what my, um, what my blood looks like. Like what are the different levels of the different white blood cells, red blood cells, et cetera. Like, what does it look like now so that I can have some sort of baseline as I get older? Because, you know, they have these ranges of what's normal. And um, they're taken from averages of many people. And so what may be normal for somebody may not necessarily be normal for you right? Do you usually skew towards the high end of that normal? And maybe you're starting to start to skew towards the lower end of that normal, or have you always been at the lower end of that normal range? Because some of these ranges can be pretty large for the normal. And so where do you fall normally for yourself, right? Versus this average population, because, you know, when a doctor sees it, they're going to say, oh, you're fine. Right. And then those times that you don't feel fine and it still looks good, then what could potentially be going on? And I think that if we have those baselines of what our normal looked like for us, then as, um, as 
we get older and maybe things are changing, we can kind of see how things are changing in our own bodies, even if they still remain within that normal range. I think a great example of that is thyroid, right? Your TSH mm -hmm. levels. Yeah. I always have, I'm like, you have to Me get too. a baseline yep. because otherwise you're going to go in and be like, I think my thyroid's off, which so many women do, especially in my practice, because I'm mm -hmm. dealing with weight management a lot. So they're always like, I think it's my thyroid, but if they don't have anything to judge it against, and it's still in that range, the doctor's going to tell them they're fine, even though they know they don't feel themselves. They know that something's off. So I couldn't agree with you more about getting yeah. those baseline levels measured. So that way, if something would happen in the future, you can at least have something to compare it to versus, well, let's draw some blood and see where you're at. Oh, you're still in the normal ranges. You're fine. And so then they start to think, well, it must be in my head or what's wrong with me. And, you know, and there actually is something to be considered. So I guess my next question is like, when is... Well, let me back up a second, because a lot of this is knowing what questions to ask. So for some of us, we don't even know what questions we should be asking. So when is it okay to question our doctor about a treatment plan? And what questions should we ask? Yeah, uh, again, these are these are a little bit harder to answer just because they're more broad. But I would I, I would say it is always okay to ask your doctor about a treatment plan. I mean, it's your body. So whatever treatment plan they're coming up with, if you may have questions about that treatment plan, how long are you going to be on this treatment plan? When should you expect to see results of this treatment plan? Um, you know, what happens if this treatment plan isn't working? Because maybe they'll give you a treatment plan and they'll say, okay, see me in another month or two. Okay. If, if, when should I start seeing results? If I'm supposed to start seeing results after two weeks and I'm feeling worse, what, what's the call then, you know? And so I think it's always okay to question um, about a treatment plan because it's your body and you want to be aware because it is very hard, especially nowadays, I feel, to get in touch with your doctor or sometimes to even make an appointment depending on where you're living. And if you're in a bigger city like I am, um, sometimes we're waiting, you know, up to a month or more just to see a primary care physician, um, depending on what practice you're going to. And so I would try to get all those questions in and try to determine, uh, make sure you leave feeling comfortable with your treatment plan, that you understand it, that you understand how long that treatment plan is going to be, what's going to happen if the treatment plan doesn't work, what kind of signs should you look for? if that treatment plan doesn't work and to make sure, especially that that treatment plan doesn't interfere with any other treatment plans you may be on, you know, are you already being treated for something else and, and make sure that this coincides that this is okay to do it in conjunction with that other treatment plan. Okay. And then along with that is, you know, maybe what are some of the questions we should ask or with prescription medications, like when is it okay to question our physician about a medication he or she recommends? And what are some of those questions? I, I'm, I'm assuming they're kind of along the same line, but yeah, is there anything different yeah. that we should be asking? Um, I mean, with the same thing, I, I'm, I'm always asking whenever I get uh, given a medication because I'm, I always 
err on the very conservative side. I don't want to take a medication unless I absolutely need to take a medication. I would prefer to be able to change diet and lifestyle and exercise versus having to take medications. And obviously there are instances where you have to take medications, right? Um, and so questions that I would ask is what, what is this medication doing? Because I'm always interested in what exactly am I taking? Um, you know, what is the doctor prescribing? Um, for instance, you know, I don't just want to know that that medication is, um, like for instance, could be like lowering blood pressure. I want to know how it's lowering blood pressure because there's a variety of different medications that have the same end result, but the way that they're working towards that end result could differ. So that's just for me. Like I just, I want to know um, how that's working because it gives me a better idea of, you know, what I'm putting in my body. Obviously you want to know if it's interacting with anything else that you may be taking, even if it's not a medication that you're taking, even if it's just like a supplement or a vitamin that you're taking, you want to make sure um, that it's not interacting uh, with that at all. So those are the types of questions um, that I would ask and just make sure that the doctor always knows everything else that you're taking to make sure that there's no interaction there and that you're familiar with the side effects of that. Like what are the more common side effects of those medications? So if you start to feel a certain way, uh, you know that. And if, if the medication that you're taking may have a dangerous side effect that you know what those could be to look out for that. And you could always, <clears throat> excuse me, you could always cross-reference with your pharmacist you know, just to make sure you have a second pair of eyes looking at things. Absolutely. Um, the pharmacy also has, you know, the programs that the pharmacy runs also has um, pretty good software that as long as the pharmacy knows all the other medications that you're taking, any new medication, if it does interact with those should will usually be flagged. And then the pharmacist will probably, you know, call you or make a note to your doctor that, this is something that you can't take. So the pharmacist is great because their job is to really know those drugs and what they're doing and how they're interacting in the body and make sure um, that you're not taking things that are going to interact uh, with other things. I think another important question to maybe ask your doctor, just in my experience and what I've seen is, do I need to get follow-up blood work after taking this medication? Because, you know, some are filtered through the liver, some are filtered through the kidneys. And I, I've seen cases where a person was prescribed something, their kidneys did not handle it well. Um, and fortunately for them, they had some repeat blood work to show that the kidneys were struggling to, to filter it. Um, I, I don't know if every medication warrants some follow-up blood work, but I do know that that some do correct. Am I, am I correct? In sure. Saying yeah, no, that's, that's good. Um, and that really depends on how long you're taking it. I mean, if we're talking about somebody who's taking a medication for two weeks, short time, it's probably really not warranted, but if this is something that you're going to be on for long-term, um, obviously those are the places, 
you know, it's going to go to your kidneys are going to be filtering. Your liver is going to be filtering, um, depending on the type of drug that it is. And so, um, yeah, it could affect those, especially if they may not be, um, working very well to begin with. Right. And, and so, or, or you're putting a lot of other, um, things into the body that would be filtered out by the kidney and the liver. So they're already working hard. And then you're, you're giving this additional drug, um, there. So there are some, and usually, um, the little pamphlet that comes on the medications will tell you if there's inter- any interactions with the liver or the kidney, uh, not always, but that, that would be a great question to ask too. Does this, um, require any additional blood work. It probably wouldn't be after two weeks, but maybe after a month or so, just to start following up and making sure that there aren't those immediate signs. Because obviously, if you don't do that follow-up blood work, and let's say that it does affect either the kidneys or the liver, you're not going to know it until you start to feel bad. And that's pretty bad at that point, right? You're pretty far into that. And not to say that it couldn't be reversed by taking the medication off and giving them a break, but obviously if you're following it with blood work and you catch it much quicker, that's much better for those organs. Yeah. I think, you know, you just bring up another point again, a lot of times things have to get pretty bad until you see the outward symptoms. So again, that's another reason why we should be staying on top of our excuse me, our, our, um, our annual checkups, because we want to catch things as early as possible because there's a better outcome. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, you know, the liver enzymes can change and you can catch that on blood work, but you're not going to really see anything until they've changed so much that maybe you're starting to get jaundiced and turning yellow. And then you maybe not really notice that your skin is yellow. You're not noticing it till like the whites of your eyes are yellow. And now you're pretty far into that, you know? So yeah, for sure. The blood work can tell you what's going on way before those outside appearances are going to show it. Yeah. And on top of that too, I mean, I'm just kind of adding on to some things that I've seen is, is make sure you know, your numbers, like don't take your doctor's word for it and say, yep, it looks great. Like actually download your numbers from your portal, get a copy of it uh, sent over to you. So you have the numbers because nobody is going to care about your health more, more than you. And Absolutely. so I don't want to hear they look good. I want to know exactly what are those numbers. So whenever I get repeat blood work, I can compare it to previous uh, blood draws and and make my own conclusion like, oh, we're trying, we're still okay, but we're trending in a, a direction that could be problematic in the future. What changes do I need to make now to make sure that I stay in a healthy range? Absolutely. I love that. I love that. I, um, <laughs> I always, always ask for my numbers. I'm like, I don't want you to just tell me that they're good. I want to see where they are when they're good. And you make such a good point, like download that. So you have it, right? The computer is one thing. I always save it on my computer. I always make sure that I have a paper filed away as well so that I can look at that in the future um, and have that because, you know, like I mentioned before, um, your numbers can change for yourself, even though you're still in that normal range and you can kind of um, see that ahead of time. And you may change doctors. You may lose those records. You may not remember which doctor you went to, to be able to, uh, bring those records back up, 
um, and, get, and get a hold of those. So it's really important to have your own records of your own health and be able to follow that yourself as well. Yes, the doctor's going to interpret that for you and tell you what they look like, but it's good for you to get a hold of those numbers and you have access to them because you're, they're your numbers and to see them and what are they really and how does your last year's blood work compared to your this year's blood work? How does your blood work from 10 years ago look compared to this year's blood work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one more question I have is, you know, when it comes to making health decisions for either ourselves or our family members, what tips do you have? Or, or I, I love this, because we've been, you've been giving us what are the questions we should ask? Like, what are the things that we need to know about when it comes to advocating for ourselves? Yeah, I think, well, I think, first of all, um, you know, preventative care is the best right? Make sure that you're taking care of yourself in the now instead of in the later, (laughs) because, you know, obviously that's going to help, you know, make your body stronger as we get older. I don't, I don't think that, um, we're necessarily given a handbook on how to get older. And we don't realize that as we get older, you know, things don't work as well. Our body's not creating as many hormones, things like our thyroid can start to decline in how it works. And, um, our bodies are working much different when we're younger, much different because as a child, adolescent, we're growing, right? They, things are happening differently. And basically as you get older, you stop growing and then things start to decline after that. So um, obviously preventative medicine is best and even preventative medicine, not only eating well and exercising, but also making sure that you're getting those physicals every year, making sure that you're getting at least some milestones of blood work done so that you do have that for the future. And, um, in being an advocate for yourself or your loved ones, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to get more information. If you don't understand something, don't just leave saying, well, I got these pills. I don't really understand what's going on, but I'm going to take them and hope for the best. Like really try to get a good understanding of what is going on because that's why you're there. And don't be afraid to speak up if you don't think something's right. Um, And I say that because sometimes we want to just say, well, the doctor went to school for this. The doctor knows more than us. And of course, yes, they did. But sometimes we know more about our own bodies or our children's bodies than um, the doctor does. And they, they see all these cases and they see a lot of patients and they may overlook something. So if you don't feel that something is right, you know, obviously they're gonna make the end diagnosis for sure. But if you don't feel something is right, then you should definitely speak up and not be afraid to speak up about that. And I'm not saying you go in there, you're like, your diagnosis is wrong, this, that, and the other, right? We're not going in there like that. But you, you know, you could be like, I don't understand this. Can you please explain, you know, how this is working? And I'll give it, I'll give a very personal story about something and how this, how this works. So when my son was young, um, he got this rash on his thighs. And this rash um, kind of went over the progression of like three to three days. And when it first started, I was like, oh, this looks like an allergic reaction. Remember, I have a 
um, background in biology. And so for, for me, you know, this is a little more intuitive, but I was like, okay, it looks like he, he, he has an allergic reaction, but it took a long time to get to where it looked like what it looked like. And I said, okay, this is weird. I don't think it's an allergic reaction, even though it does, it was textbook allergic reaction, looking rash hives, you know, but I said, I don't think this is an allergic reaction. So I took him to the doctor three days after this rash had started. And I went in there and the doctor looked at him and said, he has an allergic reaction. Give him Benadryl, he'll be better. And I said, I understand that it looks, I know, like it looks like an allergic reaction, but I really don't think that this is an allergic reaction because allergic reactions happen very quickly. And usually you get a rash that appears very quickly because it's the body's reaction to something and it's very fast. And I said, though he looks like this now, he did not look like this a day ago or even a day before that this progressed to look like this very slowly. So to me, that's weird. And I just don't think that this is an allergic reaction. Of course, the doctor was a little upset that I was, you know, um, combating or his diagnosis, but I just, I felt that it wasn't, and I did not want to leave until he had looked at him a little bit better. And so the doctor said, okay, fine. We'll swab him for strep. You know, he didn't have a sore throat. He didn't even, he was acting pretty normal, but the rash to me was just a little weird. And so the doctor swabbed him for strep long story short, um, strep came back positive. And so he had strep and had to be put on antibiotics and strep is a really nasty bacteria that if it's not treated, it can go on to affect things like the heart and cause heart problems. Um, and so it's a very, uh, easy to treat bacteria because they get put on antibiotics and then it can go away. Um, but it can be really nasty if it's not caught and it continues to grow in the body and affects other things. And so had I not, you know, pushed for that and had I not gone with my instinct, had I said, okay, yeah, you're the doctor, you're right. This is an allergic reaction, but I really felt that it wasn't, um, then the outcome could have been much different and he could have been much, much more sick a few weeks into this because he wasn't showing any signs yet that bacteria was still growing in him. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, and it's um, not e like, it's not always easy, right? We don't want to do that, but I, I, we really have to be able to advocate for ourselves. Yeah. But, and I think the other thing too, and, and you know, we love our doctors. Uh, we love our support them in our area as just, you know, a lot of them, they're given five minutes to be with you because they're so overbooked. Um, yeah. And and one of the nice things about you know our practice at Body Metrics is we get to sit with you for an hour, so we get to actually sit down, hear the background. I always say to my anytime I hire a new dietitian, I was like, take that first five or ten minutes and just you know, talk to the person, like you'll find more out in that first five or 10 minutes that actually has to do with their challenge. than if you just jump right in and start talking about symptoms, you're like, Oh, like, I remember I had one gentleman who had, um, insensitivity to, to gluten, right? Not, he wasn't celiac, but he had a sensitivity to gluten. And, you know, we were talking in that first 10 minutes about our kids and, you know, he says sometimes he ends up being the garbage disposal because he's eating whatever, you know, food is left on his kid's plate. 
And then we get into the appointment. He's telling me how his stomach doesn't feel well. And his wife's like, I'm just so confused because I cook gluten-free for, you know, for him and I, and I don't understand why his stomach hurts. And I was like, well, hold on, wait a second. Didn't you tell me at the very beginning that you're the garbage disposal for your kids and they're eating chicken nuggets? So actually you're not gluten-free. You're having gluten, which is probably why your stomach doesn't feel good. He's like, why did I not think about that? But again, you know, when you're just meeting with somebody and you're trying to give them the facts, like the stomach hurts, we're gluten-free, we don't understand what's going on, we need more tests. Sometimes those conversations that you can have in the beginning actually can tell you what's going on if you just take the time. And unfortunately, our doctors aren't in a position right now, just the way with healthcare is, and being overbooked, and they just don't have that time to sit. Um, so, you know, finding maybe ancillary services, like meeting with a dietitian or something like that, who has the time to sit with you can actually bring forth, you know, I, I, better outcomes, right? You know, and most people will be like, wow, I never understood it. I'm so glad we were able to take the time and go through it step-by-step. Step. So that's my little selfish plug for <laughs> sitting down with other healthcare professionals as well, just to come alongside of you in your journey and make sure that you're, you're um, being well taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's important because like you said, you do have the time to be able to spend that time and help others maybe better understand what's going on inside of them. And then when they do see the doctor, they can be more um, ready, well-versed to be able to really discuss what's going on um, rather than just being a symptom diagnosis type thing. They can be like, well, they, they know a little bit more, you know, uh, about that. Or like, like you just said, have the know-how, oh my goodness, I didn't even think that I was eating my kids' foods and how that could affect me. And now I'm going to change this and for real be gluten-free and then see how how that changes my health. So I, I do think that's important for sure. Yeah. So Dr. Vanessa, you told us that you have a YouTube channel. How can we find you? How can we learn more about uh, health literacy and what are the questions we should be asking and, and how the, the body works? Like, how can we find you and your work? I, yes, I have a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Dr. Vanessa. And I put up new videos every Monday um, at 1 p.m. Eastern, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so you can find me there. And uh, my videos, I also have a website. It's uh, learningbiologywithdrvanessa.com where I link some of my videos. And I also have a blog so that um, there's some written information there. Sometimes some People like to watch videos or listen to them. Sometimes you like to just read about something. So I, I have a blog there with information as well. Excellent. And we will try to link those, um, those sites to our posts so people can find you. Um, so as you, as I told you before, we end every episode with a recipe. And when I have a special guest on, they get to share the recipe. So I'm wondering if you have anything, any special meal or fast, quick idea uh, that our listeners could also enjoy. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things to make, which I think is a pretty fast, quick meal is to um, take tuna fish. 
I like to season it with um, some seasonings like dill, thyme, pepper, and then mix that all together. And then I take a cantaloupe, cut that cantaloupe in half, scoop out all those seeds. And then I put the tuna in the little hole that those seeds have left. And then I just eat the tuna with the cantaloupe. And I think it's like one of the most like refreshing, obviously it's a fun summertime recipe too, but it's one of the most refreshing um, ways for me to eat tuna without um, eating it with like bread or crackers or whatever else you would eat tuna with. I just, I think this recipe is fascinating because I just never in my life would have paired tuna with cantaloupe. I mean, yeah, I, I love it. You've got sweet, yeah. you've got kind of savory, you got protein and carbs. So you've got all the, the materials in place just, and how did you find out about this recipe? <laughs> did I, you I just make it one day. No, uh, no. Um, I, when I was younger, my mom took me to this restaurant, which probably, probably no longer exists. Um, called Beverly Hills Cafe. And uh, that was one of like their signature menu items. I, later on in time, we went, we went back and they didn't have it anymore. So this was a really long time ago. And I was like, I love tuna. So um, I love seafood. I grew up in South Florida and I was just like, oh, well, this looks interesting. Tuna and cantaloupe and um, tried it. And I love it. The sweet, obviously it needs to be a good ripe cantaloupe <laughs> but I love the um I just love how the tuna tastes uh with the the ripe cantaloupe I know it's so weird but it's so good <laughs> yeah well I and I like I need to go out and get a cantaloupe now because yeah, you need to try it <laughs> I'm so curious um and so you just like scoop out the cantaloupe with the tuna and eat them both in the same bite. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. that's your plate it's, and it's your plate you don't even have to dirty a dish <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, well, Dr. Vanessa, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for, for teaching us uh, what questions we need to ask when we're with our health professionals and, and how to best take care of our bodies. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Of course. All right, guys, that is your episode for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.